0: You are listening to WRFG Atlanta, 89.3 FM. Up next, Alternative Perspectives, Atlanta's only queer radio hour. Hold on tight. And welcome to another installment of Alternative Perspectives. You are listening to WRFG. The RFG stands for Radio Free Georgia, and it's WRFG Atlanta 89.3 FM. And this is Alternative Perspectives, Atlanta's only local radio hour devoted exclusively to issues affecting Atlanta's queer community. I'm your host, Greg Bossen, and thank you so, so much for listening so how's everybody doing uh i was actually out of town this weekend i understand it was very cold here um but it was colder where i was which is in detroit uh michigan um you might be wondering why would anybody go to detroit on a vacation but uh there was a van gogh exhibit there with 74 paintings and uh as good gays, we wanted to go see it. So me and my partner and one other person went to go see it. And it was really cool. But now we are back here in Atlanta. Of course, why do you care about any of this? What you do care about is what we're going to talk about on today's show. Now, I have found a, uh, a cute little interview that's very interesting to me. And it's an interview that was done in the early 80s in London. Um, and specifically they are interviewing people that were gay and still are gay, but that were gay in the 1930s and in it, these people describe what it's like, what it was like being gay in the 1930s in London. It's probably better than it was like being gay here in America, but you know, you don't hear too much about being gay before stonewall uh but yes we were here long before stonewall so i'm going to play a portion of that interview uh and that will be coming up very shortly but before we do that it's time for another segment of New news of the queer uh-uh. i know that's right oh, no she didn't say what and back with us is alexa after a very short sabbatical. Alexa, how's it going this morning?
1: Fabulous. I am enjoying my new year. How you been, Greg?
0: I've been doing good. I don't know why I said this morning when in actuality it's this evening, but uh that's because
1: <laughs> You know, it's all the same. The sun just goes up and down the middle.
0: Yeah, it's true. Everything is really relative. It's really, mm-hmm. really relative. So um, all right. Well, uh so uh first up, what do you have for us news wise?
1: Um I actually have a story about um mpox formerly known as monkeypox. Um so there's a story that has come out um mpox has faded in the US and who deserves the credit. So apparently there is a debate about you know the how quickly we were able to kind of um Get it together and help monkeypox go away, essentially, right? Um, and so story says that less than six months ago, mpox was an exploding health crisis. What had been um, an obscure disease from Africa was ripping through European and U.S. gay communities. Precious doses of an unproven vaccine were in short supply. International officials declared health emergencies. But today, reports of new cases are down to a trickle and the U.S. health officials are shutting down emergency mobilizations. The threat seems to have virtually disappeared from the public consciousness. Um, quote, we're in a remarkably different place, said Dr. William Scafner, a Vanderbilt University infectious disease expert. It's really impressive how that peak has come down to a very, um, very low level. So the question is, who deserves the credit? Um, it's an un settled question but experts cite a combination of factors so the story goes on to kind of talk about how um the vaccine you know essentially wasn't proven to to be effective at first but they're like let's just try it and it worked um and then it talks about how a lot of the credit really could go to the queer community in grassroots effort to get education out Um, And I thought this was interesting because I remember, you know, working for a queer, you know, centered organization that does these kind of educational pushes according to what's going on um, out there. We really were on the ground. And so I can't speak for everywhere, but here in Georgia, here in Atlanta, I saw firsthand organizations that focus on our community were the ones on the ground saying, hey, this is what's happening. This is how it's affecting um, us specifically. We were getting the information out about the vaccine. We were pushing the link, how to get your appointment to get in there, who's eligible, who's not eligible. Um, so, yeah, I, I absolutely think a big part of being able to control this virus so quickly was um these grassroots efforts in smaller organizations d- that are in the queer
0: community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and as I remember it too, and again, uh, for those of you, uh, that don't know, basically, uh, monkeypox, I, 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 it's not as serious, certainly wasn't as serious as COVID or, uh, as smallpox even, but, um, it, it shows itself as rashes, uh, on the, on the skin. And, uh, but, I don't know anybody that got it, but I do know that um, the vast majority of the people that got monkeypox, at least here in the United States, uh, were gay men. Uh, yes. and, and Atlanta was one of the uh, hardest hit. Yeah. Um, and I do know I do know people that got uh, the vaccine for it. Uh, and I think uh, it's a matter of like you said identifying the population was that was most at risk and getting the information out there. And I think on the heels of COVID, mm-hmm. I think people are pretty hyper aware of um, when these infections, uh, whatever they may be, come out there and are more willing to do something about it. So um, that's really good news. That was only a few months. That it, took this, only a few months.
1: They, the article says within six months. And I yeah. know at the beginning of the article, they identify that. The um the health community was actually really skeptical about pointing out that this is hitting the gay community the hardest because they didn't want to do, they didn't want to stigmatize. And so I think a big part of actually what was helpful was that the gay queer community came up and said, no, let's just call it what it is yeah. and who is it impacting. And so absolutely within six months, because I was like, yeah, I haven't really heard much about it in the last few months. So um this is great. Yeah,
0: was- no, it sounds like it sounds like it was a success story. And I, I mean, I, maybe that's one of the good things about um, that's come out of this COVID scares. The population is ready to move um, yes. uh, quicker uh, when these infections uh, and these viruses come up because it's going to keep happening, you know, with new stuff. Uh, and uh, we need to be ready for it, um, which reminds me. uh you know, did, did have, how many COVID shots have you gotten? I've only gotten three. I stopped after three.
1: I've gotten three. That feels like plenty for me right now.
0: Yeah. Because yeah.
1: I'm one of the people, I was actually afraid to get the first one. I was. I yeah. can be a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. I'll leave it at that. But I was very afraid. Um, But I got the first one. I was fine. Got the second one was fine. And by the third one, I was like, okay, all right.
0: Yeah. I took yeah. three and then I stopped. And part of it is because I ended up getting covid in January of last year. And so I was like, okay, I'd had three shots. Then I got COVID. I'm like, okay, I think I'm, 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 I think I'm okay now. So, um,
1: My friends joke about me having um, the antibodies just like naturally, because every single person in my life has had COVID. I have sat in somebody's face, damn near kissing them. And (laughs) they had COVID turns out and I never got it, you know, knock on everything would. Um, but I never, I never got the COVID. Oh, you so should totally,
0: you should totally get the COVID. It's so cool. I should, it's so fun,
1: right? I've been missing. Yeah, the
0: party. yeah. You've got yeah. COVID FOMO, uh, fear of missing <laughs> out. All right. What else, what else do we have? Let's moving, moving on from monkeypox. What else is going from
1: on? From Monkeypox. So um not as fun of a story. Um, with over 100 anti-LGBTQ bills before state legislature in 2023 so far, um, activists say they're fired up. And so this article, let's just hop into it. More than 100 bills targeting LGBTQ rights in queer life from transgender health care to drag shows have been filed in 22 states for 2023 so far leading activists to expect this year will set a new record for anti-LGBTQ legislation. So far, I know, right? Um, so far, Texas has taken the lead with 36 such bills, according to Equality Texas. Missouri is next with 26, then North Dakota with eight, and Oklahoma with six. The majority of these approximately 120 bills focus on transgender people, continuing a trend that began about two years ago. In the past three years, 18 states have banned transgender student-athletes from competing on school sports teams that align with their gender identity, rather than with the sex they were assigned at birth, according to the Movement Advancement Project. Four states, Arkansas, Alabama, Tennessee, and Arizona, have enacted restrictions on gender-affirming medical care for minors, though federal judges have blocked them from taking effect in Arkansas and Alabama. Um, this year, lawmakers in at least three states have introduced bills to restrict transgender girls and women from playing on female sports teams, and lawmakers in at least 11 states have proposed bills that would restrict gender-affirming health care for minors. For the third year in a row, efforts to restrict LGBTQ rights in queer life have been escalating. Um, it just goes on and on to talk about how rough of a year it is going to be. Um, I don't know that I fully anticipate that it was going to get worse but here we are.
0: Yeah, no, it's 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 um I mean it, to me it's amazing the amount of energy that the right has put into legislation like this, uh talking points, uh right-wing media. Um and I guess it's because it just fires up their base. Uh, but it's just amazing that these people, this is what they're focused on. Um, yeah. You know, these, this is a, a, a solution looking for a problem again, mm-hmm. uh, just like yeah. the voting laws. You know, meanwhile, you know, we have environmental issues. You know, we're still yeah. trying to figure out how to, um, uh, about energy and how to get off of oil. Um, we are, you know, we've got a war going on in mm-hmm. Ukraine. There's people that are poor uh you know the the crime is up uh mm-hmm. you know and and so i mean this is to focus on this is it's so obvious what the goal yeah. is of it just to try and fire up these people but
1: absolutely uh,
0: it's just going to continue now in georgia and um you may know more about this than me but i believe that um there were bills last year in Georgia, but all four of those bills died in committee and thus didn't become law. They so I think yes, yeah, so I think in Georgia when oh I see your cat. Oh how adorable is that. Um uh she's on your back. But uh in Georgia, uh you introduce a bill and if uh-huh. the bill hasn't been voted on in two years then the bill just is done and then you have to reintroduce it again i believe is that wrong yes. is that wrong on that
1: okay. yes that sounds right that sounds right
0: okay um
1: we did have one that was voted on um may have been one or two that were voted on but we have done the organizations in georgia have done really well at being able to stop them mm-hmm. uh, but i it, every year it's getting i'm not gonna lie it's getting scarier yeah. So I don't know what this year will be like, but we've been able to to halt them.
0: Well, we've- my my guess is um, with next year being a presidential election year
1: mm-hmm.
0: and with Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. uh, who loves these bills mm-hmm. um, running, mm-hmm. he will he will announce that he's running for president. I have no doubt in my mind. And he may very well end up being the um, the nominee. In uh, an effort to get people to out there to vote for him, my guess is you're gonna see all kinds of these bills all over the country in two thousand twenty
1: four absolutely yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. Absolutely. so we'll,
0: we'll see we'll see what happens there but i i'm not I'm not feeling good about that at all um all right, well, uh, what else do we have
1: all right, and so kind of on the hills of this last or, we just talked about um A trans woman founded a group to help trans people leave the U.S. due to the rising hate. Um, So there are apparently some larger conversations happening um, around queer folk, trans folk actually leaving, leaving the U.S. because of um, these bills and and the rise in hate crimes. So in response to the flood of anti-trans legislation, In anti-LGBTQ hatred in the U.S., a transgender woman has founded Transport, um, Transport, an organization helping trans people flee the country. Um, Ryan, a 50-year-old transgender woman, began researching ways to leave the country after two events took place. Um, In March of 2021, a man nearly strangled her to death in a public restroom while she was traveling across the state for work. She hasn't felt safe in public ever since. Quote, there's like 30 states right now I wouldn't even drive through," she says, um, as a North Dakota resident. Then in June 2000 June 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the right to legal abortion. Um, in his concurring opinion, Justice Clarence Thomas suggested that the court should possibly overturn its past decisions legalizing same-sex marriage, guaranteeing contraception access, and invalidating anti-sonomy laws. When associates of hers began asking about the likelihood of LGBTQ rights being rolled back in the U.S., she started researching the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees guidelines on refugee status based on sexual and gender orientation. She has since began researching LGBTQ organizations in Europe to better understand options for queer relocation. Um, In 2022, Republicans nationwide introduced over 170 anti-trans bills and over 300 anti-LGBTQ bills to state legislature. In 2023, nine states are already planning to introduce legislation to block transgender youth from seeking gender-affirming care. If that legalization becomes law, gender-affirming health care for young people will be inaccessible in nearly one-fifth of all states. And Uh-oh. so, yeah, the article they quote they quote her a bit, and she basically started this group called transport transport as a Facebook group, and but now the group has gone on to get nonprofit status and is already receiving donations, and at least thirty individuals are looking for assistance so far
0: wow, yeah I'm looking at that I'm looking at this also it looks like there's a reddit post on there. Mm-hmm. Um, will goes says the organization's application process probably won't open until near the end of next month near the end of february mm-hmm. um and it, it'll primarily serve trans people in north dakota south dakota and minnesota mm-hmm. but she hopes other organizations like hers will emerge in other states um yeah. so uh shoes will goes herself is considering relocating to iceland a country she's visited where she felt her trans identity was a non-issue I've um, heard
1: that before from folks, queer folks that I know have gone to Iceland. They have said the same thing. Really? Yes. Yes.
0: Such a strange.
1: I have heard wonderful things about Iceland.
0: Maybe it's just so cold that people don't really care anymore. They're like, you know what? Screw it.
1: Or maybe everyone's
0: wrapped up so much because it's cold. You can't tell what anybody is anyway. (sighs) Greg. (laughs) Wildly inappropriate.
1: Possibly, possibly. But yeah, I've yeah, I've (laughs) heard every all of like my trans friends, some queer folk, they have gone Iceland and thought they just were really comfortable and nobody was really worried about it. Um, but when you think about someone seeking refugee status, asylum in a country um, for, you know, their gender identity or whatever you don't think we think about like someone from, you know, a third world country coming to the U S. Um, but I think we are in a different place when we have someone from the U S saying, I've got to go find another place to live. We're in an, it's, we're in a new season.
0: Well, you know, but I mean, listen, I don't, I mean, I'm not trans, Mm -hmm. but I can't even imagine what it must be like for someone who is trans and appears trans Mm -hmm. to walk up and down the street you know every single solitary person person is looking at you uh and a lot of people are leering at you you Mm -hmm. know and you're you're subject to violence people are going to try and hurt you kill you um there's already been 30 individuals looking for assistance so far with this new entity, Transport, that hasn't even really started accepting applications yet. But, um, wow, it's it's just.
1: No, the I, fear it's, is true. It's walking, it's talking, and it's in the small moments. I I mean, I'm not trans, but I have dated trans folks and I've been in relationships. And it is a moment to moment consideration of where you're going to go how you're going to show up in this space even as like an ally in a relationship what is you know what role do i play in like mitigating um some of these social interactions um mm-hmm. and being having to be more aware right because i know i walk through the world as a cis woman and i appear as a cis woman no one's questioning that at all some people even think that i'm straight so you know it's just things i never considered before but it is a it is a walking breathing moving fear and consideration all the time it never goes away we're well never- and i
0: mean you didn't mention this but you're you're a cis woman but you're also black and so i am you, black you, you do yeah. i didn't know if you were aware of that
1: i will but- i you know sometimes i forget <laughs> greg
0: but, but no but what i'm saying but what i'm saying is is that you you do know a little bit about what it's like yes. because you can't black is on you, you can't and 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 it's in there, and you're in it and you're dealing with that every second of every day
1: um, and it is true. I am always aware and I am always aware that like I walk into the world and I am seen as a black woman and everything that comes with that. I actually have an example, and it hit me so hard that day. I was in the park um what's it it wasn't grant it was Grant Park, and I was just like the only black person in sight. Um, I was walking and I was, and I was walking past um, the swings and there was um, cute little family, white family, two, two little white kids on the swings. And I was walking past and I don't know why it hit me so hard that day, but I was like, Alex, like I was like trying to smile and walk upright and just like not look quote unquote suspicious. Like mm-hmm. I it was just very aware that I am the only black person in this park right now. I'm walking by two little cute little white kids on a swing and I don't want their parents to think that, like, and, you, and that, but that's all the time. Right. Sometimes I'm more aware that I'm doing it than others, but it's all the time. It's all yep. the time. Yeah. So trans folks, they're walking around all the time. They they don't, they don't ever forget that the world and the people around them could be um, waiting and, and ready to, you know, do whatever.
0: Yeah. There's, let's say you take what you've got, what you go through and multiply it by a thousand. Mm-hmm. That's probably what a trans person feels mm-hmm. like. Yeah. By the way, how in the world are you the only black person in Grant Park? That's strange. That
1: day, I was walking and there was, I was looking around and there was not a black person in sight, which it happens sometimes. I happen sometimes. Um, that's right. a wider area. The what? The park that I was walking in, it is a wider area. If you're, yeah, like down, what is that, Cherokee, going down Cherokee or
0: Yes, it's gentrifying down there. Yeah. Yes, it is. It yeah, is. It yeah, is. yeah, yeah.
1: So it doesn't, it's not always like that, but
0: yeah. Yeah, when I was
1: walking around. I was like, oh, shit, let's not. Excuse me.
0: That's OK. I'll cut that out.
1: OK,
0: wait, let's pause for a second. OK, that way I'll see the pause. I don't know where the shit came from. All right. <laughs> oh, now I just said it again. Well, I'll do that after that. All right. So let's move on. What's your uh, what's the next uh, story that you got going on?
1: So this one, um, a lighter story, a lighter story. Good,
0: good. And we'll end with that. We'll end with a lighter story.
1: End with a lighter story. So um, New Delhi LGBTQ Pride March returns after three-year hiatus. Um, And I wanted to do this because it's a lighter story, nothing too heavy about it. But I think we forget in some of these countries where, like, they're on the they're more on the younger years of fighting for um lgbtq rights something like a pride parade is huge it's
0: yeah, huge them yeah, you know it's yeah. one
1: day but it's a day you come out you feel seen you're you're amongst your community and it's fantastic so last week on sunday over 2000 people marched in new delhi's first lgbtq pride parade in 3 years until now the pandemic had caused the repeated cancellation of this event it's good, it's fabulous, because we are here to celebrate ourselves and after three years says a 23-year-old um, community member. India has still not legalized marriage equality, but in a historic 2018 ruling, the country's Supreme Court ruled that homosexuality would no longer be considered a criminal offense. Um, it goes on to quote a couple of people and just talk a little bit about how they're still like fighting for rights. Um, but the, the big thing is just that they get to have this day back. Um, and I just think it's a reminder that we do have a lot of issues, but we're, but we're a little farther along sometimes than some some of these other countries. And so that made me excited for them.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. India is a place I've always wanted to go to, by the way, I've always, that's on my, that's on my bucket list for sure. Yeah, that was, it looks like it was September the 6th of 2018, they overturned. The mm. colonial era law, and it's worth noting that these anti-LGBTQ laws came in as part of uh, colonialism. You know, mm-hmm. this is something that the British brought
1: um, mm-hmm. to
0: countries that they colonized all over the world. Countries like Ghana, where a lot it's still of people legal.
1: don't realize that some of these countries that that it's punishable by law um, to the degree of death. Sometimes, a lot of people don't realize that that was not a orig- that didn't originate with the people in that country it was colonialism yeah absolutely don't know
0: absolutely Um, all right well great well thank you so much i appreciate your time uh and we will talk again uh next tuesday yes Uh, and in the meantime um i don't know be well be well
1: uh (laughs) you do greg all All
0: right all right and uh we will be right back and that was a song masculine women and feminine men that was out I believe in the 1930s uh, which is what we're going to be talking about uh, yes there were gay people in the 1930s uh, welcome back to alternative perspectives you are listening to WRFG Atlanta 89.3 FM uh, I am host of alternate perspectives Uh, My name is Greg Bossen, and this is the only local radio hour here in Atlanta devoted exclusively to issues affecting Atlanta's queer community. Uh, And thank you for listening. The opinions expressed here are those of myself and my guests and do not necessarily represent the views of WRFG, its employees, board, volunteers, funders, or listeners. So uh, for tonight's show, I thought we would take a little time travel, Uh, and space travel. We're going back to the 1930s to London, jolly old London town, where there were gay clubs. Uh, Some of them were called pansy clubs. But uh, what we're going to be listening to is actually uh, an episode of a TV series, a piece of an episode of a TV series in the 1980s. But this particular episode um, chronicles gay life, in the 1930s in London. So uh, one of the people that you'll be listening to, Gifford Skinner, will be describing, so again, this was recorded in the 80s, but Gifford was alive in the 1930s and going to gay bars in the 1930s in London. So Gifford describes what it was like to be a gay man in the 1930s. It's illuminating and nostalgic. Uh, Gifford recalls picking up a guardsman in Hyde Park Uh, as well as some of the homosexual characters he encountered in london's west end so um also the gay activist historian and sociologist jeffrey weeks is interviewed uh, about gay law reform so um we're going to listen to this because i just was fascinated by it you can get to it it's called being gay in the 30s um and you can you can google that and get to it if you want to hear the whole thing but we're going to listen to a a portion of it now. So I hope that you enjoy it.
2: The Trocadero in Shaftesbury Avenue. In the 1930s it was one of London's most popular night spots. All the top variety acts of the day were seen here. But while the show was going on, unknown to most of the audience, a different kind of entertainment was taking place in the bar upstairs. For well, the Trocadero was also one of the favorite meeting places for London's homosexual community. It was like cafe society. People
3: would dodge from table to table and, and they'd Oh, do come and meet my friend over here and i have got so-and-so with me. He's up from uh, Bristol or something like that. You could be sure of getting off in, in the Trocadero bar with some very nice... Uh, a fairly well-to-do person.
2: The subculture of which the Trocadero was a part was unknown to most Londoners. And until recently, it lingered only in the memories of a dwindling band of older gays. Now, however, a new generation of gay men are hurrying to learn what they can about the 30s before these memories are gone forever. For although the modern gay world is very different, they believe it was at that period and in that tiny social world that modern concepts of homosexuality first emerged. In this programme, we'll be finding out why and we'll be looking at the good and the bad aspects of that legacy left to gay men. Gifford Skinner grew up in the early part of the century. He was aware from a very early age that he was far more attracted to other boys than to girls and that this made him different.
3: I can remember in in the uh, infant school, we used to do an awful lot of marching in those days, the school teacher playing a march on the piano. And I always used to look at the boy in front, his bottom, uh, the crease going from side to side. I found it it was absolutely fascinating. And as quite an infant, I was very, very
2: interested in my own sex. But the world Gifford was growing up in thought very differently about men like him. People knew, of course, that men could, and did, have sex with one another. But they thought of this as a sin that any man could commit. The idea of separating out a particular group, who were more than usually attracted to their own sex, and giving them the label homosexual, had not yet occurred to most people. So men like Gifford found it difficult to know what to call themselves. No, no, no. We... we, uh, First of all, the, the word was
3: musical. Uh, they say, well, that was the polite of uh, euphemism. They'd say, um, is he musical, if they were discussing people, you say, uh, Is he musical, I meaning say, is he gay? Uh, then, of course, the word so came in, which was really supposed to be uh, done in almost a French way, you know, is he uh, so, rather politely. The first time I heard the, word, the expression so was, of, uh, was uh, in... Uh, when I started work, I'd never heard the expression before, ...and I wasn't aware such people existed. Now, this is Bear Street. Here we are. This is the very Bear Street. Now, this is
2: JB's, isn't it? The
3: next one, yes. yes.
2: Because they felt different, men like Gifford... ...grouped together to form a small exclusive clique. Their way of life has given rise to many of the beliefs we hold today about gays. So we asked Gifford and his friend Benny to guide us round their world.
4: I
3: know he did. I don't know whether these are the,
2: the men who drank in the upstairs bar at JB's called each other sisters. That was because, since they had no other way of thinking of themselves, they assumed there must be some kind of intermediate sex, more like women.
3: This reminds you of old times, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And um, we used to sit here. Uh, could I always just occupy the seat up in the uh, corner there, in the window? And uh, you remember Rosie Bothways used to come here?
5: Yes. Oh, yeah. she
3: was a scream. Rosie Bothways used to say, well, of course, I only work in service, and for my particular boss, because his clothes fit me. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she did appear in them. Mm-hmm. Magnificent uh, 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 overcoats with velvet collars. Yes. that' like, Always a red buttonhole, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one time, she was known as Russian Rose, with very dark features, yes. <laughs> do you remember Lady Lavender? Oh, the, my dear, yes.
4: With the uh, yes. two white borzoi yes, dogs. Yes, yes.
3: But do you know why she was called Lady Lavender? She no. came from Mitchum. Well, what, what's yes. the... What's well, Mitcham Lavender. Oh, was, uh, I see. yes. see. Oh, well, I mean, people all had camp names, didn't they? Well, yes. yes I was always known as May. Were you? Yes. I didn't have a camp name. Didn't you? No. Well, you probably didn't know about it. Everybody was Ethel and Kate and yes. all that sort of thing.
2: Many of these men were in jobs in domestic service, for they were keen to be in the West End, near what we'd now call the gay scene. And so they would take these low-paid jobs, which heterosexual men would not have accepted so readily. Their evenings off would follow a regular pattern, often beginning with tea at places like Lion's Corner House, dubbed the Lily Pond, because of its popularity with camp men. The management tried to turn them away, unsuccessfully.
3: This, uh, this was the corner house, Lion's corner house, and of course you know that, don't you? Because you used to go to the Lily pond the same as I did. So That's the, there. the first floor, was Lovely, yes. They had two entrances, didn't yes, they?
5: Yes, yes. No one.
4: They used to go up one entrance, yes. and they, the, the floor manager didn't like the look of them. He barred them. Yes. They used to come outside, walk round to the other one, go up there, and they used to say, "Come in here." And the nippies used to. With the waitresses, remember, they you did this. Nippets, so yes, they were charming, they
3: always liked the gays, didn't they? They
4: always yes. did, yes, and, and uh, they actually put you in a corner seat where the floor manager couldn't see you.
2: Once the pubs opened, Gifford and his friends would go on from Lyons to one of three or four favorite haunts.
3: Now, do you remember that? Oh, c- that's the site of the lovely Cavour, my Cavour darling Cavour bar, Cavour bar yes. Remember walking down the yes, stairs? yes. Oh, didn't we have some wonderful
2: times? But Gifford and his friends didn't find sexual partners in bars like these. That's because sleeping with your friends was like sleeping with other women. They wanted real men, and those had to be found elsewhere.
3: Real men were more attractive because uh, uh, one wasn't attracted to uh, one's contemporary subsistence gay gay people uh, I was once asked by uh, one of my uh, bits of trade he said well wh- why do why do you like going with me why don't you go with one of your friends uh, they're so elegant and attractive uh, such as uh, Jimmy would say what's her name and I say oh my god I wouldn't go to bed with her uh, but he could never understand it. They always thought it was rather strange that one should run the risk of taking a stranger back to one's ha- home and, uh, instead of taking one of one's, one's friends and doing the same thing. It was absolutely impossible, though. I, I couldn't consider such a thing. I, I really liked uh, the, the real thing or
2: nothing. Despite the fact that all homosexual acts were against the law, it was surprisingly easy to find men who were prepared to have sex, they were mostly working class, and soldiers were especially obliging.
3: Guardsmen were available in, in a pub called the Pakenham, but uh, you could walk in Hyde Park on any afternoon, and uh, they would be really, I suppose, they were looking for nursemaids, taking babies out just to have a little flirtation, but it never got them very far. But uh, they had to wear their red tunics when they were out, no civilian clothes were worn allowed. Uh, and they looked very very smart indeed they were magnificent really you could tell them a mile off and the color was gorgeous against the green in in hyde park and uh it was very easy to chat to them the the usual way was to ask for a light all the time or something like that and then you chat away and uh he'd know what you were after and the price was two shillings upwards it was so Quite easy to get them, and uh, they were more than willing because that was the only bit of sexual pleasure they were it was possible for them to have a lot of them uh, of course had a connection of uh, rather well to do people and uh, all this was discovered once when an address book was found. If they were sent abroad they 'd sell their address book to uh, to their um, to their uh, mate, and he 'd take over where they left off and uh, and the old queens would give a tip to the one that sold the book. Because he would say, well, uh, you won't go without. I'll, I'll put a, a very nice mate of mine on to you. Oh, thank you very much. Well, here's a little present for doing that. Thank you. And of course, he, he'd get
2: tips from both sides before he went abroad. <laughs> the main reason why so many real men, even servicemen, were available was because most people then were unaware of the concept homosexual. It was possible for men to have homosexual experiences without feeling that it made them queer. This, plus the attraction of a little pocket money, meant that many men felt able to go to bed with people like Gifford without it affecting the way they thought of themselves. Uh,
0: I'm just going to have to stop here just to um, say hello and to let you know if you're just joining us, you're listening to Alternative Perspectives, uh, Atlanta's only queer radio hour, and we are listening to a, a um, interview with a couple of individuals who were and still are gay, if they're still living, uh, but they were in, they probably aren't, but they were um, uh, gay in the 1930s in London. Uh, and so that's what we're listening to. And I have to say, I just wanted to stop for a second and say, I recognize that this man, this interview was done in the 1980s, Uh, And uh, this man, uh, Gifford Skinner, was talking about how they wanted real men, uh, that they wouldn't uh, have sex with other gay men. They would go out and uh, have sex with these uh, individuals that were uh, considered themselves straight. A lot of them were in the um, in the armed forces uh, and on shore and uh, needed to um, get off. Uh, So anyway, it's kind of shocking to hear now. Uh, This man talking about real men, Uh, I suppose you couldn't have a relationship if you thought that way. You were only, um, your friends were your friends and the people you had sex with were straight men that you had sex with and neither the tweens shall meet. So that made gay relationships very difficult. But again, it's interesting to hear uh, the gentleman talking about how the concept of being gay didn't really exist at that point. Uh, which meant you could have sex with a man and not necessarily think that you were gay, um, which made it more able for uh, men to have sex with other men if you were in the armed forces and you were hard up. Um, but anyway, let's continue.
3: You could often get two back at a time. Often they wouldn't separate, yeah, especially sailors. as said, I want my oppo with me. And uh, he 'd even sit in, uh, sleep in a chair all night that 's been done before now, and uh, you chose which one you wanted, and you stuck with him and you didn 't have the oppo; he sat in the chair. The rough people were uh, quite conscious of the fact that they weren 't gay, and that they were only doing it for the to bob
4: This brings back memories, uh... Gifford. Does it? Why? Yes. Well, do you remember?
3: That's the Alhambra. This, this Alhambra. is the
4: Odeon now. Yes. But That was the <clears throat> Alhambra. Yes.
3: It's very much more ornate in
2: those days. Oh, wasn't it? beautiful, yes, beautiful it's got beautiful Oriental it's all outside. Black tonight, yes. And I played in that theatre. No. Theatres like the Alhambra are fondly remembered by people like Gifford and Benny. For, since the public had no real idea that homosexual encounters took place, they could go on uninterrupted in the galleries while the audience were applauding the show. Did
4: you ever go in the
2: theatre? Oh, very many times,
3: but it was for cruising, dear. It was very, very successful indeed. You couldn't go wrong.
2: Outside on the streets, too, encounters went on more or less uninterrupted. Even the police weren't a real problem. Police could be intimidated,
3: actually, if you got into trouble with them. Uh, it was largely done by the way one spoke. I, I soon learned that one should address them as constable, with a U, rather than constable, which was uh, a little bit uh, common, you see. And they knew the difference. So if you said constable, they oh my God, I've got hold of somebody here, and uh, that well, uh, I just wanted to tell you so. It's rather dangerous to to linger here. Um, so, uh, if I were you, I'd go home. You've had to drop too much, haven't you? Or something like that. Uh, very, very
2: uh, fatherly and, and very charming.
4: Oh, billion, million, yes, where yes. they
3: had all those lovely reviewed.
2: So, although homosexuality was regarded as a sin and was severely punished by law, and although for many homosexually inclined men, the 30s must have been a time of ignorance, guilt and fear. For the few men who moved in the world of West End theatres, cafes and pubs, it seems, in retrospect, to have been a golden age.
3: Oh, and, of course, the times I've been down here, you know, the roundabout round
2: here. Yeah. We, we didn't have any
3: feelings of persecution at all, really. Uh, not so much as we, we do today. We, we had the freedom of the West End, really, in certain hours. Uh, that would be from, from seven o'clock, and the streets
2: would be ours. But even as Gifford and Benny sipped their mixed vermouth in the Trocadero, The days of their free and easy little world were numbered. Society was about to discover the homosexual. That discovery brought their exotic lifestyle to an end, but the image they created is still influencing our view of homosexuality long after they have gone. Richard Kraft Ebbing, Havelock Ellis and Sigmund Freud were the leaders of a new breed of scientists called sexologists, who devoted themselves to the study of human sexual behaviour. It was these men who began the process of discovering the homosexual. They had begun their work in the late 19th century, before the men who made up the gay scene of the 30s were even born. But their writings were to remain confined to intellectual circles for many years. At the time they wrote, science was just beginning to view human behaviour in a wholly new way, dividing people into different types, normal and abnormal, each with their own distinct personalities and even physical characteristics. The sexologists did the same for sex, and so people who preferred their own sex became homosexuals.
6: Before the 19th century, homosexual activities, homosexual practices existed, but the notion that there was such a person as the homosexual didn't exist. This is a relatively recent notion and is no older than about 100 years. What was punished was certain forms of homosexual activities, usually sodomy, in fact. But sodomy was a characteristic of, in a sense, of all sinful people. It, it wasn't a characteristic of a particular type of person. Whereas, increasingly, from the end of the 19th century, homosexuality is seen as the characteristic of a particular species, the species of the homosexual. What matters to the sexologists in the... Late 19th century, and in this century in fact, is an attempt to define what's normal and what's abnormal. Now, this notion of normality is very much related to the much sharper definitions of masculinity and femininity in the course of the 19th century, and the the bond that brings masculinity and femininity together, heterosexuality. And the homosexual, the description of the homosexual, is an attempt to fit. Um, a certain group of people into this notion that there are sharp divisions between male and female. And the only way you can do that... In this is
2: your chance. You keep her alive. Save her. You can save her.
6: In terms of social science, is to say that certain people are somehow intermediate between real men and real women.
2: It was from the precursors of men like Gifford and his friends that the sexologists got most of their ideas about homosexuals. When they saw that effeminate sisters had sex with masculine trade, they concluded there must be two sorts of homosexual, and they called them inverts and perverts.
6: Essentially, the notion of inversion was invented by the sexologists at the end of the 19th century. To describe those people they saw as inherently homosexual, people whose homosexuality was inborn, congenital. The notion of perversion was an attempt to explain, a feeble attempt to explain, those people who they saw not as inborn homosexuals, but those who were uh, corrupted into homosexuality, either through inadequate parents or through um, corruption in youth or through bad influences in adulthood. So you get this sort of dichotomous version developing of the real homosexual who has to be pitied and the, the person who is potentially corruptible into it, who has to be protected. The next
5: day, Their Majesties paid a visit of inspection to the South Bank... Exhibition.
2: Post-war Britain may not have seen the kind of world to be obsessed with homosexuals. With Yet the... it was at this time Mr. that the sexologists' ideas were first to take hold of the public consciousness. The exhibition is the central point of the festival. And in the space of some 27 acres, there's plenty of evidence of... British it was a world obsessed with patriotism and with building a new future. It was a world that celebrated the family and the values of ordinary suburban life. Yet, it was in this setting that the sexologist's concept of the homosexual, or the invert, was to become known to the broad public for the first time. And this discovery led the public to become obsessed with the idea of the effeminate homosexual corrupting those around him. It all began in 1951, the year Burgess and McLean fled the country on the eve of their arrest as spies. Much was made of the fact that Burgess, seen here in Moscow with the late Tom Dreiberg, was a known homosexual. In many people's minds, the words homosexual and traitor became synonymous. That same year, the Metropolitan Police announced a Clean Up the West End campaign, aimed directly against prostitutes and homosexuals. Police arrests for indecency multiplied tenfold compared with the 1930s. 1954. Lord Montague and journalist Peter Wildblood are accused of seducing two young airmen. Now gays are corruptors of public morals. The boys are in the forces and also underage. 1957. Ian Harvey, junior minister at the Foreign Office, arrested for indecency with a guardsman.
7: I'd been to a party at one of the embassies and uh, (coughs) I'd been to the house to vote. And then on my way home, I thought, well, I might take a little exercise. And I went into the park and uh, I met a young guardsman. And he went with me. And uh, we went into the darkness of the trees. And uh, unfortunately, um, we were discovered by the police and one of the park keepers. And I was then arrested. Serious papers thought how they terrible it all was, as a junior minister, foreign office, should be involved in this way. The uh, po- popular press, of course, made the most of it, as they would. My political contemporaries obviously had to remember that if they were thought to be friends of a homosexual, people would assume immediately that they too were homosexuals, and so, quite naturally, they steered away. But mind you, once this had happened, I tendered my resignation, and uh I didn't go back to the house
2: ever again. Popular papers began offering advice on how to identify one of these dangerous effeminates who were supposedly busy corrupting the state. Anybody with a grain of sense can smell these homos, the Sunday Mirror wrote. For homosexuals like John Alcock, who were in London during those years, it was a terrifying time. They thought that homosexuals were great corruptors because um, the, um, of the
4: amount of publicity that uh, was going on at that particular time with the two uh, cases that I've mentioned, and also, of course, Burgess and McLean and, uh, and the spy syndrome and things like that, and uh, they thought that uh, and one or two film stars who at that particular time had fallen from grace... And uh, and so everybody assumed that all homosexuals were alike, that they were corrupters and uh, and inclined to do harm to people, that and that we had two heads and uh, and what have you. In uh, that period, I even remember that uh, I came home and burnt all my love letters because I was sketched. I really was very very frightened. And this was uh, very very general. Uh, there was a sort of a witch hunt that was going on names were brandished all over the place and and what happened. People became very frightened uh, during that
2: period. It's hard to know exactly why society became so hostile to gay men in the 1950s. It's likely that the notion of the homosexual had already begun to filter into popular consciousness even before the Second World War, as the gay scene had expanded and become more visible in the 1930s. Then the war itself, by providing more opportunities for men to have sex with each other, would undoubtedly have spread knowledge of homosexuality even further. And then finally, perhaps, after the war had ended, the need to reassert normality was bound to have meant that exceptions to conventional behaviour would be less easily tolerated. But whether this is the correct explanation or not, the fact that the public had seized on the notion of the homosexual man as an invert who went around perverting other so-called normal men was bound to have important effects on the way that gays were to see themselves from then on and it is from these effects that they are only now emerging. Dudley Cave was one of the generation of gay men who were under attack in the 1950s. They soon found a defence, the sexologists' ideas themselves. Dudley had first come into contact with these notions when he'd been given a book to read by an army doctor. I said, I'm homosexual.
5: I'd only read the word, I'd never heard it. And she said, well, just because you masturbate doesn't mean that. And I said, oh, no agony, I'm certain, and he stopped me and said, look, I'm not an expert in this, but we have an expert in the camp, uh, a sexologist, Dr. Philip Bloom, and I'll arrange you to see him if you like. Well, I saw Philip Bloom, he discussed things with me, my attitudes, my feelings, made it quite clear to me that I was homosexual. Lent me his copy of Havelock Ellis's Sexual Inversion in Men. And I read that and I recognised myself absolutely clearly on those pages.
2: What Dudley responded to in Ellis's book was not the notion of the homosexual as pervert, but as invert, a distinct type of person born different from everyone else.
5: Well, it's years since I've read it, but there were certain things like... Uh, we were supposed to be attracted to blue. Oh well, never mind. Um, and green. Uh, we had the pubic hair tended to be triangular at the straight at the top, and not up to the navel as is apparently more heterosexual. In my experience, that does seem to be fairly true, and that bodily distribution of fat was more in the feminine way than the um, the male
6: way. Ellis was therefore thinking of homosexuals as a different type of person, biologically different. Did you share that view? I
5: don't know whether I did or not, but I was prepared to accept what did seem to be like evidence. Certainly my pubic hair ended on a flat line at the top, and I seemed to fit. And I also, blue had been my favourite colour, and I did seem to fit in with that. So I was prepared to accept it. And I saw no reason why I shouldn't have. not didn't, um, didn't come into conflict with any views I had particularly.
2: Many men of that generation sincerely believed that not only they, but all homosexuals were born that way.
4: Homosexuals are born homosexual. There's no doubt about that in my mind whatsoever. Children do go through a phase uh, during puberty, um, of which they pass through. And they'll find pleasant or unpleasant and accept or discard uh, as they feel fits. But no, a homosexual is born and he or she can do nothing about it whatsoever. And indeed, why should they want to do anything about it? Uh, when you saw sort of thought it through, you know, it's quite great to be gay. And um, you'd never have a problem. No, no, no. You wake up. You go to bed at night, gay, and you'll wake up in the morning, gay, and that's all there is to
2: it. A crop of books were published in the early 60s, all arguing the same thing, for it seemed the perfect defence against the public's hostility. If homosexuals were a species apart, born and not made, then they could not possibly corrupt
0: other men to their ways. Well, I'm blown away with this. This is back in the 1950s, In London, uh, there is a move afoot to recognize homosexuality is something that you are born into and shouldn't be punished for. Of course, it took many, many years before that actually became a reality. Uh, And in many countries, uh, they are still being punished uh, for being gay. So um, anyway, so what you were just listening to um, was a 1980s interview um, with Older individuals who were alive in the 1930s, 40s and '50s in London and who were gay um, and described what it was like uh, to uh, be gay during that time. So um, that's going to do it for the show. I thought that was really interesting. i I don't know. I used to say that I thought that uh, the 1920s and the 1930s would be a cool time to be alive, and I still think that's the case, but I don't know that um, it would have been cool being gay um hiv wasn't around then that would have been nice Uh, but uh that's gonna do it for the show uh thank you so much for uh joining and uh next up we have the peach state festival and um have a good week and uh i will talk to you next week take care